I want to ask a question, and if you have enough courage, you can raise your hand. Have you ever been in one of those moments where you made a decision, and a few minutes into that decision taking effect, you suddenly think to yourself, this might be the dumbest thing I've ever done? Anybody done that? Okay, some of you are brave enough to admit that. Well, I, I had one of those moments several years ago. I had tried to change some things about my eating because apparently a diet of burgers is not that healthy. I mean, who knew, right? So I decided I was going to get some nine-grain bread. And if you've never had nine-grain bread, basically what they do is they come up behind the crews that are paving the road, and all the gravel that is left over, they sweep it and they bake it into some bread. That's nine-grain bread. So I, I didn't realize when they cook it, they don't actually crush up all of the grains. So I made myself a sandwich. I started eating this nine-grain bed, and I bit down on a seed, and I snapped one of my molars in the back of my mouth completely in half. I would give you about a three on that reaction, okay? My pain level, so let's try it again. I snapped one of my molars completely in half. Oh, there we go. You guys are with me now. And if you've ever done that, you know it's incredibly painful. So immediately I called my dentist and I said, hey man, I, I think I've broken a tooth. He says, come on in. So I come in, I'm sitting down in the chair. He looks at it, he goes, yeah, we're gonna have to pull that out. And I'm like, here now? He goes, no, no, you gotta set it up with a surgeon. So my bad decision was I set it up with the surgeon. I walked in his office and he goes, okay, just so you know, we're going to knock you out for this procedure. And I said, well, I don't have a ride home, doc, so you can't knock me out. And there you go. So he goes, well, we can give you a local, we can knock you out. I said, just give me the local, I'll be fine, I need to walk home. My son had my car, my wife dropped me off, there was nobody that could come pick me up in that time, it was a couple miles home, it was no big deal. And so I got in the chair, he gave me the numbing stuff, and I'm laying there, and then they take this big steel contraption, and they open your jaws as far as humanly possible, and they shove it in there so your mouth stays open. And then... He walks in with a 20-pound sledgehammer and a three-foot crowbar. And I'm like, hey, I got nothing, okay? So for the next 20 minutes of my life, I heard him literally chip the tooth out of my jaw and pull it all out, okay? Nasty. If you ever have the option between the laughing gas and the local, take the laughing gas, okay? That's your free, your free tip for today. All right, but... All of us have those moments, right, in our lives where we go, hey, if I could have that moment back, I would do it differently, right? We look back over this last year, some of us, and we go, you know, uh, if I could have that conversation back with my wife or my kids or my coworker or my boss, uh, I would do that differently. You had those? You ever have those moments where you realize the decision has a trickle-down effect and you don't like the trickle-down effect, right? I thought it was going to go this way, and it didn't. And now life is not as good as it could be because of the decision I made. So I want to talk a little bit around decisions because some of us approach 2023 through the lens of this year, I'm going to do that thing differently, right? Fill in the blank with what that thing is. Some of us approach 2023 going, I've tried to do that thing differently and I'm tired of trying and I haven't been able to change it. So we're kind of throwing in the towel going, I guess this is just the way it is. So before we either go back to doing things the same way 
with the same intent, with the same result and frustrate ourselves, I want us to ask a question that I want us to live around and then I'm going to let the scripture speak into that question. And here's the question. What if the way we approach change is all wrong? What if the way that we're taught to approach change as Americans is absolutely backwards and totally wrong? Because that would mean we'd have to do things a little different, right? Because the way we're taught to approach change as Americans is that we're actually taught that we can change ourselves. So there's an entire industry called the self-help industry that is based off of this concept that you and I can actually change ourselves. And so the, the original book, actually, this is really just kind of a bit of trivia, but in 1859, a guy named Samuel Smiley wrote this book called Self-Help, and it outsold Charles Darwin's Origin of the Species because it was published in the same year. That's the basis of the self-help industry. Well, today, that industry is a $43 billion global industry. Billion. And the way the self-help industry works is it's basically based off of a concept that when you and I have a problem, somebody teaches us how to fix that problem. And if we work hard enough, we can actually change ourselves. There's either a book or a podcast or a membership somewhere or a coach who will jump online and help us process through that. Okay. Well, what, what if our approach to change in that way is actually all wrong? Because the truth is, many of us really do want to change. And what gets us into that way of thinking is, we actually want to be a better husband, right? As a, as a husband, I actually want to be a better husband. As an employee, I actually want to be a better employee. As a mom, you probably want to be a better mom, right? As a student, you want to be a better student. If you're an athlete, you want to be a better athlete. And so what we do is we get drawn into this way of thinking that basically says you can change yourself if you work hard enough and put enough effort in, you can actually control your own destiny. I'm going to propose to you today that that way of thinking in America, in those four words, I can change myself, is the biggest lie ever dropped into human history. And it's a very ancient lie. We'll get into that in a little while. Because the biblical truth is you and I actually can't change ourselves. But we desperately want to because we want to be the best version of ourselves that we can possibly be. So I want you to grab your copy of God's Word and I want you to turn to Revel, uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Romans is a book in the New Testament. And I want to talk to you about a different way to understand change. And before we get into Romans, I want to throw something up on the board that will help us to understand how we see change as Americans, okay? Change in America is basically based on this premise that I can change myself, which I believe is the oldest and the biggest lie ever sold to humanity. And from that lie, we actually make decisions about life that come from two thoughts in a worldview or a cultural worldview. And the first thought is that I'm in charge of my own life. That comes from the concept that I can change my own world. I'm in charge of my own life, and I'm actually good. How many of you have ever heard the statement that basically people are good? Raise your hand. It's okay. Right? Everybody heard that statement before? Okay. That's what's believed culturally that we're actually in charge of our own lives and that basically humanity is good. Here's the problem. The Bible goes in the exact opposite direction. The Bible tells us we're not actually in charge of our lives and inherently humanity is not good. We're actually sinful. 
So I want to show you a different way to understand change because the way that many of us function about change as we look towards the next year is that we say, hey, you know what? I think I can change this about myself. I'm basically a good person. I think if I try hard enough, I can change this. And over time, we get frustrated because we can't change ourselves. And then we deal with anxiety and we deal with depression. We deal with frustration and we deal with this sense like this is never going to change in my life. You ever been there? You felt that way before about something? I know I have, right? Whatever it is in our culture. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, here's how the Apostle Paul starts out with a radically different way for you and I to approach change. He starts out Romans 12, verse 1, this way. He says the word, therefore. And if you ever see the word therefore in Scripture, what you need to do is you need to back up and you need to read the previous chapters to understand what he's doing because he's summarizing everything that he said before. So the word therefore is in place because for the last 11 chapters of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has actually laid out one of the greatest arguments for Jesus, who he is, why he came, and what a difference he makes in the world in those 11 chapters. So he starts out and says, hey, because of everything I've just told you about Jesus, therefore, and then he says this statement, I urge you brothers, and you can insert brothers and sisters because he's talking to all of us. He says, I urge you brothers. Now, this concept is exactly like a coach when a football player comes in on the sideline and he grabs the face mask and he says, hey, look at me, pay attention to what I'm going to tell you. That's what Paul is doing here. It's the same when a parent sits down with a kid and says, hey, look at me, I need your attention. Pay attention, focus right here. It's the same thing when a pastor looks at a church and goes, hey, come in close, church. Listen to what I'm about to say. Here's the reason he's doing that. Because what he's about to get into is life transformational for you and I. So catch this, church. Pay attention to what's going on. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And then he says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't continue to relate in the same way that the world around you relates, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to attest and approve the will of God, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And what I want to do is I want to unpack this passage for us and give us a radically different way to approach change in a way that I think will actually create the change that you and I so desperately want. So look at this first part of the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and he makes this statement, I want you to circle it, in view of God's mercy. In other words, because of everything that God has done for you. And in that one statement, the Apostle Paul actually captures the entire story of Scripture in that one statement, in view of God's mercy. The book that you hold in your hand or that you have on your cell phone, the scripture, is actually not one book. It's 66 separate books that were written over 1,500 years of human history by about 40 different authors on three continents of the world. And those books have been pulled together and created into the scripture that you and I hold in our hands. But the entirety of that scripture has one singular theme all the way through it from Genesis all the way to Revelations at the end. And here's the theme. God's response to my sin is Jesus. That's the story. The entire story of Scripture is God's response to my sin is Jesus. So what the Apostle Paul does in that moment is he reminds us of what God did for us on the cross in sending Jesus to die and take our place and pay the penalty for our sins that we couldn't pay. 
Now I want to back up for just a minute and I want to capture this story again because some of us come into this place with kind of different, different histories around what we understand about the scripture. So in Genesis chapter 1, which is the first book in the Old Testament, you can turn there if you want to, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have the account of God creating the world. Now, if you grew up in a, in a secular school, uh, you probably heard about this thing called the theory of um, evolution. Anybody heard of that? Theory of evolution, okay. That's actually how we're taught how humanity came to be. That's a lie. I don't know how else to say that. That's a lie, okay. It's called a theory of evolution, and it's put out there as an alternate explanation about how you and I got to be here. Well, the scripture actually gives us the biblical account of an all-powerful God who created you and I, who created man and woman in his image to be a reflection of him in his creation. And he created the world that we live in in six days and on the seventh he rested. That's what you'll find in Genesis 1 and 2. And then in Genesis chapter 3, what you'll find is that God had created these two people, Adam and Eve, and he'd stuck them in this amazing garden called Eden, and he'd given them one command, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Anything else you can do. Well, Satan is introduced to us in Genesis chapter 3 in the form of a serpent, and he comes up to Adam and Eve, and he begins by questioning them about what God told them. He said, hey, are you sure God said not to do that? And then he said, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not what God meant. And then he went in direct opposition and he said, the reason God doesn't want you to do that is he doesn't want you to be like him. That's where that oldest lie comes from. I can change myself. It's based in the sin that originally happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve said, we want to be in charge of our own life. We don't need God. And that same lie has infected humanity all the way through human culture where we put ourselves in God's spot and say, I'm in charge of my own life. I'm basically good. I can change myself. I don't need God. And the biblical response is completely different. That's why Paul says, in view of God's mercy, because what Paul is referencing is the entirety of the story of Scripture that says, you and I are broken. We couldn't save ourselves. We needed Christ to come. God sent him. He died on the cross in your place and in my place to save us from the penalty of the sin that we could not do on our own. So the biblical story around change is not I can change myself. The biblical story around change is that God is the only one who can change the human heart. God's supposed to be in charge and not me. And my response is actually a response to God's grace and mercy and responding back to that with love for him and obedience to him. The biblical response to God's grace is obedience. That's the biblical response to grace. So when Paul says in Romans chapter 1 or chapter 12 verse 1, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, what he's really saying is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, your response and my response should be love and obedience. And then he says, I urge you in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Here's what that looks like. It literally means that every day when you and I wake up in the morning, the first thought that we should have, the first thing out of our mouth should be, God, I can't live the kind of life you call me to on a regular basis outside of you. Will you help me put your will, your purpose, your desire ahead of my own? That's it. 
God, I can't do this life that you called me to. I can't change myself. Don't buy into the lie, church. I can't change myself. So God, will you do in me what I want to see happen, what you want to see happen? Will you do in me what I can't? Will you draw me towards obedience and engagement with the truth of your word? God, will you do that? And then every decision that we come to, every opportunity that we have, we choose to put obedience to the truth of God's word ahead of our own desires. That's how that works. Now, if you're filling in your blank, here's what I want you to write in there, okay? Change is my response to God's grace. Change is my response to God's grace developed through obedience to God's word. Okay? Very simple. Change is my response to God's grace developed through obedience to God's word. That's why Paul says, in view of God's mercy, because of God's grace, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's how we actually bring about the change that we're looking for in our lives. Now, I want you to circle the word in that key statement, the word develop, okay? So change is my response to God's grace developed through obedience to God's word, okay? That word develop sometimes can kind of throw us off. So what I want to do is tell you how do you develop obedience to God's word. If we're really looking at change in our lives, how do we develop obedience to God's word? So open your scripture to 1 Timothy chapter 4, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 9. And the scripture says uh, in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 9, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, but train yourselves to be godly. Now, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to do this today because I think it's incredibly helpful. I'm going to teach you the original language of the New Testament because I think it brings to light this idea of godless myths and old wives' tales, okay? So we're going to practice this together. The phrase godless myths is, is the word tick, so say that with me, tick, give it a little, a little, uh, okay, tick, okay, and uh, godless myths and old wives tales is the word talk, talk, so what he's really saying is have nothing to do with TikTok. Some of you caught on just a second before, that is not the original Greek, okay. So Paul is saying have nothing to do with the things that waste your time and pull you away from godliness. What is that for you? We've all got those time wasters, right? So have nothing to do with those things that waste your time and pull you away from godliness. And then he says this, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Well, how do we do that, church? On a regular basis, we open up the scripture, we begin to read and study God's word. We ask the Holy Spirit to teach us what life is supposed to look like. And then as we're reading that, we lay that on top of what our life looks like. And we go, God, where, do it, where does it need to align? That's what it looks like to train yourself to be godly. Because if we're going to develop a sense of obedience to God's word, we have to know what God's word looks like. So we have to train ourselves to be godly. And then he says, physical training has some value. So the time you and I are spending in the gym, running, eating healthy, all that's good stuff. But he says, then godliness has value above all those things, both for this life and the life to come. So in this next season, church, if we really want to be biblically obedient, what you and I need to do is we need to train ourselves to be godly. The whole concept of American cultural change is this idea of trying and trying harder. It's not trying and trying harder. 
It's training, not trying. It's looking in the scripture and going, God, what does your word have to say? Does my life align with it? If not, I'm going to pull my life into a line with your word. That's what training looks like, okay? Now, I want to throw something up on the screen that I think is going to help us better understand the difference between cultural change and biblical change, right? So biblical change is based on this premise that God is actually the only one who can change me. I can't change myself, okay, that's American, American culture. You can change yourself if you try hard enough. The basic, the biblical approach to change is that God is the only one who can change me. God's in charge, not me. I'm actually not good, I'm broken. And the way that change happens is through obedience, not trying harder. Huge difference. Premise is different, everything is different. Okay, premise is I can't change myself, only God can change me. American culture, you can change yourself if you try hard enough. Basic concepts, God's in charge. American culture, you're in charge of your own life. Basic concept, biblical change, I'm broken. Basic concept, American change, you're a good person at your core. So just get gooder. I don't know if that's a word, but we're going to use it, okay? Just get gooder and keep working hard till you get gooder. And through hard work, you're going to get gooder, okay? Biblical change says I actually can't change myself. The only way I can change is to be obedient and align my life with the biblical truth of God's word. Now, what I want to do in this next couple of minutes is I want to take a couple of concepts that we struggle with in our culture, and I want to lay them through this grid of American change or biblical change and show you the difference, okay? We're going to go quickly through some passages of Scripture. So if you want to, I'm going to encourage you to write them down. Write the reference down rather than try to look it up because we're just going to kind of move through some stuff. Okay. Now, uh, I know that none of you in this room deal with this. But there are some people in our world that deal with anger issues, okay? I know it's not you guys, but there are some. You probably know somebody, okay? We all have that friend that we ask advice for, okay? So uh, let's say we have an anger issue that we're trying to resolve. American culture will tell us that the way to resolve that anger issue is to get a book, listen to a podcast or video, get a membership with an anger person, uh, get a coach, get us to help. Now, please hear this, okay? Go to a counselor or whatever. Please hear this. I'm not saying those things are bad, okay? I've read some incredibly helpful books in my life. I've listened to some incredibly helpful podcasts. I've had some incredibly wise men and women speak truth into my life. Here's the difference. If I get the book because I think I can change myself, or I get the book because I want to learn how to be more obedient to the things of Scripture that God calls me to. See the difference? Am I listening to the video because I think if I do those things, I can change myself? Or am I listening to the video because I want to learn some things that will help me be more obedient to the scripture? Totally different. And in American culture, what happens is we get the book, we get the podcast, we get the membership, we get the coach, we try a little bit harder, we work a little bit harder, we count to 10, we leave the room, we do whatever tricks that we can do, and we do awesome until someone ticks us off. Right? So we do so well, like I am radically different for the 16 hours between January 1st at midnight and the time that I drove to church today. But when that dude cut me off in traffic, I'm going to tell you what, both hands came up, my mouth cut loose, and I just, you with me? Right? American change, that's what we do. Here's biblical change, okay? Biblical change is different. Biblical change, we flip over to a passage like Romans chapter 12, verse 17 to 19. 
And we start reading that, and the scripture says that we shouldn't repay evil for evil. And we start letting that soak at a heart level. And we realize that sometimes the reason we have anger issues is because we just want to get even. And then we go further in that passage of scripture, and we start studying things like live at peace with each other. And we start asking God in the morning, God, will you teach me what that looks like to live peacefully with my kids, with my wife, with my coworkers? And we ask God to change us to the core level, at a heart level. We admit we can't do it by ourselves, right? And then we get down further into Romans 12 and verse 19, where it says, don't take revenge. God will take care of that for you. And instead of trying to get our own back again, we begin to live very differently because we rely on God and his power to take care of us in that moment. Or we start jumping into other passages of scripture because now we're starting to live at peace. We want to change that attitude of anger that lives inside of us. So we jump into Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, which is the fruit of the spirit. And the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control against which there is no law. In other words, nobody has a problem with those good things. And we ask God, God, will you take that anger issue that I struggle with in here, will you replace that anger issue with those character traits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, and we ask him to make that change. Or we look at passages like Matthew chapter 22, 37 to 40, where Jesus is asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? You remember that one? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So we begin to live by this creed that says, if what I'm about to say or what I'm about to do does not fall into one of two categories, this either helps me and the people around me love God more, or it helps me and the people around me to love each other better. We do this really cool human trick. Take your hand, whichever is your dominant hand, hold it up like this and put your fingers together, okay? No Spock action going on. Put your fingers together. Take your thumb, put it right next to your hand, cup it a little bit like this, and take it and maneuver it and go like this. <laughs> Here's the thing. We start saying, God, will you not let me say the ugly things that are floating in my mind right now? Will you stop those things from coming out? It's really different to approach this issue of anger from a sense of biblical because what I'm actually doing is I'm actually asking God not to change my behavior, but to change my heart. You with me, church? I'm not asking God to change my behavior. I'm asking God to change my heart. And as a result of changing my heart, my behavior changes and looks different. Okay, now let's deal with another one, a real practical one. Uh, people who are not here today and who slept in, uh, some of them, I know you guys don't deal with this, but some of them deal with relational struggles, okay? I know you guys have it nailed down, but some of them do, or you have a friend that deals with relational struggles. So a normal American cultural way to change a relational problem is that we buy a book and we start reading how we can be better, how we can hold our tongue, how we can do different things that'll help us out, okay? And we start doing that. And then maybe if we're in a marriage relationship, we get a book together as a couple and we start working through that book. And again, nothing wrong with those books. But American change saying that I can change myself means that I try and try harder to be a better husband. Or I try and try harder to be a better dad. And I try to take the practical things that are taught in the book and I apply them in my life outside of God. And what I find 
is over time, I can't do the things that I want to do, okay? One of the best passages of Scripture, if you've never read it, is, is in the book of Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul writes this, the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing, and the stuff I want to do, I don't do. What a wretched person am I? You ever been there, right? All the good stuff that we want to do, American culture, I really want to do it, but I just can't get there. Here's a biblical approach to relationships. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 and this is probably one of the most practical things that you or I could ever do. Paul starts out talking to the church in Ephesus and he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is useful for building each other up according to their needs. So you want to fix relational issues, church? The way to live in obedience is don't say dumb stuff. Pretty simple, right? Don't say hurtful stuff. Stop ragging on each other. Stop being mean to each other. Stop being sarcastic with each other. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is useful for building each other up. Okay? Then, let's say uh, we have a marriage relational issue. Husband and wife are not getting along with each other. She feels like he's not doing his part. He feels like she's not doing her part. Kids are getting in the way, problems at home, all kinds of difficulties, struggles. They're not talking to each other. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 21 is where the Apostle Paul starts this little bit. And he says, submit to each other out of reverence for the Lord. And then he says the phrase that we're not supposed to say in America anymore. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Whoa, pastor, you just crossed the line. Okay, wives, submit to your husbands. But listen, boys, we're not off the hook, okay? Because what we got to do is a whole lot worse. They have to allow us to lead and they have to respect us. You know what we have to do? We have to lay down our life every day for them. We have to die for them. The scripture says that as a husband, you and I are supposed to love our wives in such a way like Christ loved the church. Paul literally says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and laid himself down for her, purifying her and making her a beautiful bride. You know what you and I are supposed to do, fellas? We're supposed to die every day so our, lives, our wives can love Jesus more. If our wives are not loving Jesus more as a result of what we're doing as a husband, then we're doing something wrong. That's what the scripture says. So if we want to have the basis of obedience being the transforming effect in our marriage, then the best thing you and I can do is take that passage in Ephesians chapter 5 and we can go, hey, are we doing our parts in this? Because if we're doing our parts, we're moving towards what it looks like to live in relationship. Now don't pick on each other and go, your part is, and your part, okay, don't do that, all right? That's going to start a fight. It's going to be ugly, okay? But let's dig a little deeper, Let's deal with sexuality. And I, I know we're, we're kids in here, so trust me, it's going to be PG-rated. Sexuality is a huge issue in our culture, okay? If we want to live in biblical obedience sexually, we've got to look at passages like Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. And Hebrews 3, 14 says, keep the marriage bed pure. That means get off the phone, get off the computer, Walk away from the pornography that is rampant in America. That means the mental affair that we're having with the person that we work with or the neighbor or the person at the gym, we got to stop that. We got to stop that. 
God never designed us to live that way, right? So Hebrews 3.14, keep the marriage bed pure. You know where that also aligns with? That aligns with our dating relationships, church. That means if you're not married, stop sleeping with each other. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5, says that you and I are supposed to live in a place of purity. We're not supposed to pull each other down. We're not supposed to dishonor each other or Jesus. We're not supposed to live controlled by our lusts. If we want to live in obedience, we've got to train and look at the Scripture and recognize the only place sexuality is supposed to live is inside the bonds of marriage between a husband and a wife, and that's it. God's not a killjoy. God's setting that up because that is actually the best and the safest and the best way for you and I to express what God created inside of us. Now let's talk about parenting. I've got a son who's 19 turning 20. Uh, I'm learning how to parent a young adult. It's an adventure. Um, He didn't come with a manual. I don't know if you guys, your kids came with a parenting manual. Okay, it'd be awesome somehow I I didn't get the parenting manual. But I love my son. And as a parent, what I've had to learn from the scripture is that I actually have one role as a parent that is primary. And it is not to teach my son how to throw a football or throw a baseball. It's actually not to teach my son to be a better athlete. It's actually not to teach my son to be a better student. It's actually not to teach my son how to succeed in this world. My primary job as dad is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. It's for me to love Jesus and for me to teach my son to love Jesus. Parents, the place we need to start if we're struggling with our children is we need to go back to the scripture and we need to live in obedience to the word of God that tells me my job as dad, my first job as dad is not to grab the baseball glove and get out in the yard so that my kid can get some kind of scholarship. My first job as dad is to sit down with my son and introduce him to Jesus. Now hear me, dads, I'm talking to you like I'm talking to me. Many of us have abdicated that job in our home. We hoped our wives fill it in. We hope the church fills it in. We've walked away from the biblical responsibility to lead spiritually in our home. If we want to see true transformational change happen in our culture, it starts when we as men stand up, study the word of God, and go, uh-uh, no more. We're not going to do this. This isn't right. But it's got to be us being willing to live in obedience to the truth of Scripture. Right? See, it's not that biblical change is easier than cultural change. Cultural change is actually easier. Because I can keep believing the lie that I can change myself. Or I can embrace, embrace a biblical model of change that says I actually can't. I was never designed to change myself. I was actually designed to live inside of a framework that says God's in charge, I'm not. He created me. I actually don't control my own destiny. I can't change myself. I'm inherently broken, not good, and therefore I need Jesus. And through obedience, God transforms my heart to the things that he calls me to. That's biblical obedience. So... Uh, I'm a reader. I don't know how many of you guys are readers. I, I love reading great stuff. And I picked up a new author. His name's Jocko Willink. I don't know if you guys know who he is. He's a former Navy SEAL uh, commander, was over in Afghanistan. Phenomenal. He wrote a book with a guy named Leif Babin. 
And the book is called Extreme Ownership. It's how Navy SEALs lead and win. And then he wrote another book coming off of that called The Dichotomy of Leadership. And if you lead in any way, I'm going to encourage you to look up those two books, okay? Extreme Ownership and The Dichotomy of Leadership. He wrote this other book that I bought. And initially, I fell in love with it until I realized, I think it's wrong. The title of the book is Discipline Equals Freedom. And the concept is American culture. If I work hard enough, if I'm disciplined enough, I'll find true freedom in my life. Can I tell you what I think is wrong with that title? I don't think discipline gets us freedom. I think obedience gets us freedom. I think if you and I will pull away from the lie of American culture that says we can change ourselves, we fully embrace our need for Jesus and we live in obedience to the teaching and truth of God's word, I think through obedience we find transformation that we're looking for. I think through obedience we find freedom that we're looking for. And when God changes the human heart, the behavior changes and we become the people that God originally created and called us to be. What would it look like, church, if you and I went home took all of the lists that we made up about how much we want to change in 2023 and we scrapped all of them and we stuck one simple thought on the mirror in our bathroom or in our car somewhere and it said, in 2023, I'm going to live in obedience to Jesus. That's it. In 2023, I'm going to live in obedience to Jesus. And that became the driving force of our church. Believe me, we would look different. Believe me, home life would look different. Believe me, relationships would look different. Here's my challenge, okay? Let's do 2023 different. Let's do 2023 as a church, as a community of people committed not to changing ourselves and being a better version of ourselves, but instead committed to be obedient to the will of God in the scripture and live the lives that God really, really called us to live and see what God's going to do in our midst. Okay, let me pray for you. Father, thanks for our time today looking at your word. Thanks for the challenge that you've given to each one of us. I pray as we process this that you would give us the courage to change and engage as the people that you call us to. Father, I pray a blessing on our church as we go. Thank you so much again for this rain that we've had and a little window of sunshine that we get to enjoy today. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, as you go, if it's your first time, stop by Starting Point. If you're looking to connect further, go to the orange umbrella. Blessings, everybody. Thanks for being here.